Hello and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Turp, a counsellor, trainer and writer. And I'm Paul Gorns, a careers advisor, trainer and lecturer. And this is How We Care. Conversations about what it takes to help people for a living. We are two experienced and committed helping professionals who are passionate about finding the best ways to take care of the people we help through our work and to support helping professionals to take care of themselves. So if you're a counsellor, careers advisor, coach, social worker, medical professional, a learning and development or HR professional or any other skilled helper or aspire to be one, this podcast is for you. Let's reflect on how we care. Well, hello and welcome to episode one of season two of the How We Care podcast. Um, We'd like to welcome you to this series and a big thank you to everyone who listened to any or all of the six episodes in series one. Um, We've been really pleased with the feedback that we've got and the constructive comments that we've had. Um, and um, I think we've now been downloaded in 17 different countries so it's great to know that um, people are tuning in from all different parts of the world Um, Tokyo, New York, Berlin, Moscow, uh, Liverpool so uh, we're getting uh, tuned in from lots of different places which is really good so I think hopefully we benefited from a nice break and we've got some um, great ideas for some episodes to come, which we'll be saying more about later. Okay, so um, this episode is about approaches to supporting people's life decisions. Um, When we first set up this podcast series, um, Elizabeth as a therapist and me as a careers advisor Um, started to explore all the different things we had in common. So although we're from different professions and people listening now will be from other different professions, um, one of the things that came up in our conversations was how much um, people come to us at times when they've got significant life decisions to make. So... I guess that Elizabeth, probably the decisions they come to me with and the decisions they come to you with are all going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I know we have in common and helping professionals have in common is the assumption that we're not there to decide for them, we're there to help them make the right decision for them. Mm-hmm. So it could be someone relocating, moving to a new country, Um, ending a relationship, starting a relationship, choosing a house, making a decision, um, say about becoming a vegetarian or um, making a career decision, which is what um, I've uh, got most experience of. Um, And I've got a couple of uh, quotes I wanted to um, start with. Um, just to kind of set the scene. And then I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience of guiding decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is from a blog called Farnham Street, which I check in on fairly regularly, and I will put in the show notes a link to this. Um, And one of the things they say is um, we might judge a decision on how it turns out. Uh, one of the points they make is you can make a really good decision, i.e. you can go through the decision-making process really well, and it doesn't necessarily mean that everything turns out okay, so there's always that level of uncertainty. So they say a decision should not be judged solely on its outcome. Sometimes good decisions produce bad results. A recruiting process that has resulted in mostly excellent candidates will still occasionally fail, to weed out a bad fit. It is impossible to have perfect and complete information for all the variables involved, so we do the best with what we have. So that's one thing I'd wanna emphasize, certainly with the people who I've 
helped with decisions is you'll never have all the information you'll need and you'll never eliminate that sense of uncertainty. And just to back that up from um, a really good book, it's um, about career coaching, but a lot of the principles in this could apply to other helping professions as well. And this is from uh, Creative Career Coaching by Leanne Hambly and Kira Bomford. Um, and this is about clients making decisions helped by careers professionals. And it says at some point, the client goes for it and decides. It is unlikely that they can ever have sufficient information available to make a risk-free, totally informed match, as there are just too many variables involved. They might even be forced into making a decision owing to other pressing demands. To be decisive is a skill, to go for it, even though there is a degree of risk, compromise and uncertainty. So I don't know if that, any of that triggered any thoughts for you, Elizabeth, from a mm -hmm. therapy perspective. Yeah, I think a really big one for me is that in my work, it's actually quite rare that somebody comes to me with an aim of making a decision. I think for me, the idea that they might need to make a decision or even the realisation that there's a decision to be made is part of the process that they might end up at or go through. But it's really quite unusual that they would come to me saying, I need to make a decision. Um, so, yeah, usually people will come for therapy when they're in, you know, a bad way mentally, you know, with suffering from anxiety or depression or, you know, sometimes very long-term stuff. Um, and their initial thing is they want to either work out what's wrong and, you know, or feel better or, you know, move forward in some way, basically face up to the problem that they're having. And so initially there wouldn't necessarily be a decision. But what happens later and what came up for me as I was listening to the quotes that you're talking about is, quite often at some point in the work a, a massive decision will come up you know like along the lines of what you touched on earlier so it could be even to the extent of should I still be in touch with my family that can be a decision that some of my clients might get to um, which is a fairly major thing to be oh, thinking yeah. about um and obviously sometimes there's smaller decisions that kind of come up as somebody's working with me so it might just be they're doing the therapy and then they've got a decision to make about do I start this training now or you know do I move house or do I you know things like that can come up but it's not usually the work that we're doing but of course it it comes up you know and and sometimes um, what also came up for me was there's lots and lots of factors that you mentioned there, which are required for somebody to make a decision. And for my part, there's also lots of ways almost that a person needs to feel to be able to make a decision. So there has to be enough self-confidence in place that they feel like they can make a decision. But there also has to be an ability to even like think, focus on the decision and have the motivation and be ready to make the decision, which often isn't the case if somebody's in a really bad way mentally so to start with when I'm working with somebody it's often a case of almost laying out all the issues and kind of identifying what they are because they feel like such you know so overwhelmed sometimes with all the things that are going on for them and part of that might be oh I know that I need to make this decision at some point but I can't do it right now um and, and a lot of the time I, I work with people and actually normalising the fact that maybe now isn't the time for them to make a decision, even if other people are telling them to make a decision or, you know, they feel like they're pressured to make one. It's like, well, there's something about being in the right headspace to make a decision, isn't there, as well? So, yeah, that's what's come up for me so far. Okay, so, yeah, so that, that's interesting. So... I guess that's a key difference between what I do and what you do is mm -hmm. that we would, uh, careers professionals would almost be uh, surprised if somebody coming to them did, did, didn't yeah. say some kind of decision mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. 
having said that, it might be somebody who says, um, oh, I'm applying for this job and I want some support with the application. So in that sense, the decision is, is often being made and it, it's supporting them with the, with, the, with the enactment of that decision. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds to me like uh, for you, decisions emerge from the exploration you have with somebody yep. about Absolutely. what's going on in their life. Yeah. Um, so the decision is not the thing that's uppermost in their mind. That is the, the, the thing that's uppermost in their mind is how can I, um, I suppose, feel better or feel more um, or, or make some progress or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or feel uh, more in control or, or yeah. better well-being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like sometimes it will be decisions a set of decisions or a decision that will form part of making progress yeah a solution to that but coming back to where you started it does sometimes happen that someone I'm working with will ask me what I think they should do about a particular micro decision so for example if they've ended a relationship and the person that they're not in the relationship with anymore wants to be in touch with them, they might say, well, what do you think I should do? And as you hinted at the beginning, we both work in a very person-centered way, so we wouldn't tell them what we think they should do. If that person has done that more than once, then you work with, well, why? Why are you trying to defer to somebody else about your own life and your own decisions? So then you can work a lot with what is it about them that doesn't feel like they can make their own decisions you know and that can be really useful because it's a way of kind of unpicking how they are in other relationships in their life and when it comes to kind of giving away their power type of thing so somebody says to me you know oh I just want you to tell me what to do then it could become you know it could become fun because there's a, lot, there's a lot of laughter in therapy people not, might not realize that but there's a lot of laughter you know mutual laughter laughing at them they'll think it's funny too but I will not do it like I will not tell them what I will tell them, of course, and this is, I guess, where we can move into how we do this. What I will tell them is what they've already told me before, because a big part of my job is to reflect back to people. So if, for example, if I've been working with someone for quite a while and then a decision comes up that they need to make and they're sort of telling me all the factors that are coming to their minds to make the decision, but they haven't mentioned something which I remember that they've told me in the past that feels very relevant. I would bring that thing back. So I'd say, well, don't know, you know, I would say it gently. I'd say, well, you know, I just want to remind you that you told me this and I wonder if you feel like it's relevant. And then I would point out the thing. Sometimes there might be a massive contradiction in what they're saying to me that they're just about to do and what they might have previously told me that they didn't want, for example. Right. And so then I would bring that back, but it would never be something that they hadn't already told me. <laughs> if you see what I mean. My job, and I don't know about you, but I, I guess because you're working in like less of a long-term way, but I have like, I don't know which part of the brain it is because I'm not a scientist, but whichever part of the brain that, that has like long-term memory, my, that part of my brain is really frightening. It can remember everything my clients have ever told me. So even it freaks people out. So even if I've been working with someone for years, and they'll say something about something that happened 20 years ago. I'll be like, oh, yeah, when, when this happened. And they'll be like, ah! <laughs> but so I have the ability to recall things that they may be defending against or, like, deliberately not remembering in that moment because it's kind of sometimes a way that people avoid doing certain things. But it's my job to go, oh, yes, but, you know, what about that time when this happened? Because they've already brought it into the room if that makes sense. So that's one way that I would support a decision-making process it would be to reject the order to make the decision for the person and then get them back to trying to engage with their own stuff around it. Yeah, I, I, can, I can very much relate to that. So in my practice, I guess, over the years, I've had quite a lot of people say, uh, let's say, the, say I've, got, uh, I've got, you know, the sometimes people in the enviable position of having two job offers because they've been, mm, they've been mm -hmm. doing a lot of job mm -hmm. hunting and they get one job offer, you know, they're thinking about that one and then the next day another one pops in and mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, they say, oh gosh, you know, I, I was interested in both these jobs and job A is good for these reasons, job B is good for, for those reasons. And then, um, you know, quite often I'd be rich if I had, um, you know, a pound <laughs> for the number of times people had said this. Um, if if you were me, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. To which response would be, uh, but I'm not you. You know, I, I haven't got your life circumstances, your values, your beliefs, your skills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I don't want to do that job. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, uh, a bit like what you said, um, it would be crazy to rely on me to say, <laughs> you know, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I might just kind of ask further questions about, you know, tell me more about delve into job A and job B. And yeah. let's explore these a bit more. What are the advantages of that? What are the advantages of that? What, mm-hmm. what, are the, what worries or concerns do you have with it between the different jobs? The other thing that comes up quite often, and this is just an interesting mindset, is people say, I don't want to make the wrong decision or I don't want to make a bad decision. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this idea that if you've got let's say you've got two alternatives that one will yeah. be one will be right and you've got to make sure that you choose the wrong one right one and not the wrong one um, mm-hmm. and I think the, the best way to frame that is to say you know neither is wrong both are right you, you know you, you you applied for both of these because they appeal to you they were interested they, they were interesting for mm. you you can do them so it's not about one being wrong or right it's about which one based on what the information you have and what you're feeling and who you've spoken to yeah um, it's deciding which one is the, is, is the out of two right decisions, which is the best right decision based on what you know. Mm. And um, also to say, um, it's completely natural to be undecided when faced with major decisions, you know, to have that period of time when you you don't know what to do and you may be anxious and you may be mm-hmm. trying to puzzle out which way to go. Um, it would be um, mad not to be really focused on trying to make a good decision in those circumstances mm. yeah it um, means you care yes and what I think we can help with is kind of help sometimes we help people get through the paralysis of indecision or mm. feeling mm-hmm. wrong because they're undecided yeah if we go back to a discussion we had uh, right at the beginning uh, in in I think this very first podcast the very first episode mm. of the podcast mm. uh, when we talked about you know the idea that um difficult thoughts or difficult emotions are somehow to be rejected and not right and not that mm. be really positive so there's a normalization of that anxiety about the decision yes and yeah. so a bit like you said before there's almost a pressure to be decisive and probably mm. sort it out and get it sorted yeah um, and a pressure from other people or a pressure mm-hmm. we put ourselves to make decisions yeah and so i think one of the roles we can do is to say perfectly understandable that given this dilemma you've got about this big life decision that you should have some uncertainty about it and want to mm. make make the best decision for you yeah and being able to sit with those feelings actually takes some of that stress off because some of the stress is about not wanting to feel like that uh, and then that, and that makes it more hard to make a decision what's coming up for me as well here is that a lot of the decisions that I'm working with people on are less time-bound than a job offer or something like that. So what I often try and do with people if they're feeling like, you know, overwhelmed by a decision is, first of all, help them to think about, do you actually have to make this decision now? And also, if they don't have to make it, so if there's no external time pressure or date pressure or something like that, it's about looking at, do they have to make the full decision so I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. So say someone's having a difficulty in a friendship and they're not sure whether they want to end the friendship or whether they want to just have a break from the friendship or, you know, so yeah. they're not there yet, basically. They're not at the decision point. So what one in, in more interpersonal decisions, 
a really important thing that someone could do that they might not realize is just do a tiny bit of it just just think about what what small change can I do which buys me more time to really work on and work and work out and, and often you know use the sessions that I'm working with them in to reach the bigger decision you know it's like do you have to go all out for this decision or can you just pull back from the contact with the person for a little bit and see how that feels or you know is there other ways like really similar to what you're doing which is basically opening up the whole picture kind of taking it away from feeling so pressured and thinking oh hang on let's let's look at all the different options let's look at all the different factors and let's see where some control can be taken because that also helps when a decision is required isn't it if you like the person will come into the room to see you or me maybe feeling quite overwhelmed and unable to think straight about the decision because it's so momentous but our job in a way is to obviously literally sit with them in a space well I say that when we're back in in the room fully that would be lovely you know in a space and actually kind of lay all the decision out look at all the factors and just by doing that process people feel that the decision is more manageable because you're helping them to get clarity on it and again, it's all coming from them. It's not that you're saying all oh, this and this and that. It's it's coming from what they're telling you about the decision. And if they haven't been able to articulate it, obviously we both have skills in questioning and things to say to people to tease it out, to sort of get the detail and to get the nuance. And also to get the feelings, because I know you were also working with this, to get underneath. It might look like a decision about fact or a job or something, but actually, these decisions are often a lot more emotional than that, aren't they? Or bound to beliefs or values or what does my family think I should be doing and how does that fit with what the person actually wants to be doing? That All that subtlety, I really feel like we both work with that in, in, you know, in what we're doing. This is kind of another real big crossover, isn't it, in how we both work. We're very interested in that individual in front of us and their needs, which is going to be completely different to even the other candidates that went for the job that this person is talking about, is <laughs> completely different because, as you said earlier, their history is different, their circumstances are different, their, their emotional needs are different, their, are they an introvert, are they an extrovert? All, all these different things are completely individual and it's our job and our pleasure to help them to get to what's right for them not anyone else just them and that's what I love so much because it's great to do that but it's also so un unusual for somebody to offer that to us to a person because we're used to being bombarded by external expectations aren't we everywhere in society and in the world and everywhere we look so for someone to actually sit with you and say well I actually want to help you work out what you want can be quite challenging but it's also really liberating for a person isn't it yeah and I, I think I think you, you you know you I think you've really got to nub of it there in the um the part of the person-centered approach as you say is a recognition that everybody's very different and so when it comes to any big decision one of the things that they're doing is is, is weighing up all those factors impinge on them which will be different to to somebody else mm -hmm. um, and so part of what we do is is not to impose for instance um, a particular model of decision making or particular mm -hmm. say or to say well this is the way to make a good decision this is the way yeah. to make a good decision and uh, I know for me I've worked with people who've wanted to do the whole process very logically and, and wanted a model yes uh, and I'm guessing you do have models for that when someone yeah, wants that. So yeah. One I've used before is called Brain. So mm -hmm. it's benefits, risks, alternatives, um, intuition. So mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. intuition and next steps. Um, so I've used others as well. Um, so sometimes that's what people want. And sometimes um, people will kind of reject the idea of a of a model because it feels too prescriptive and too... Yeah and they want to yeah. kind of explore it at a more kind of intuitive level mm. so, so and yet others if you know other people will very much want that structure and will find that structure helpful so um another one i've used is the uh, edward de bono's six thinking hats 
Um, so where, where he, 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 he uh, different coloured hat, one is for logic, one is for positivity, one is for negativity, i.e. sort of benefits and drawbacks to a particular decision. So there's all of that. But I think one, one, touching on what you said before, we put faith in people to have the, the ability to come up with the right decision for them. Yeah. Uh, even though they might not feel at the beginning of the process that they have that. So but in the brain model, in the brain model, it says instinct, which is one thing that I work a lot with, yes. with clients. And it's something that a lot of people don't trust. And, and also, I think instinct actually almost has like a bit of a, a silly, like, reputation. It's almost like people think instinct is, is not a real thing. You know, it's like, like we've kind of, I don't know, which uh, baffles me a little bit because my understanding of instinct is it's, a, it's an animal function and sometimes it comes into play in, in high-risk situations where we, we have a very strong feeling about something and then we, we act from that feeling. So I, I personally feel like instinct is a very important human thing, but I think we've kind of moved a bit away from it. So I, when, when someone's got a decision to make, I would often support them to get in touch with what their gut feeling, to use a more like understood term, I suppose, is about the situation, which can be really uncomfortable for people or even quite alien, you know. But as part of therapy, they're often working on that anyway. They're working on how do I become more congruent to myself and you know, how, how do I be more in line with my own true self? And so that, that part of that brain model, I love that because that is... It's in a model for a reason, isn't it? It's because it's a very important part of a decision-making process and it enables someone to really honour what they actually really want. Because what they really want may well go against everything that they think they should be doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'd agree with that. And that's why I like that model because it's, it, it's, it's kind of uh, packaged as a, as a logical model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, as a logical thinking model, but it also acknowledges that instinct intuition element. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget this because your gut feeling or your deeper intuition may actually be a, a really good guide in this situation. Mm, absolutely. And people, and I've experienced this with my own decisions of trying to apply. So I did, I remember um, someone going through, uh, they made a list of pros and cons. Mm -hmm. They then prioritized um, the elements that they wanted. And I think it was, again, it was choosing between two jobs. They came up with scores. Mm -hmm. And let's say um, job B came out higher than job A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they then just clearly felt really uncomfortable with that outcome. Mm. They didn't yeah, like it on a visceral level. Uh, and they said, although logically B is right, I really, really, this has really made me realise that I can't quite articulate why, but A is feels wrong. And that feels, feels right. And I think it was yeah. probably later that, that that kind of, they were able to kind of put their finger on why that was. Mm. I mean, so thing, important. Yeah, the other thing I've done is, um, which I suppose is a coaching technique, is in, in where somebody's got a dilemma is to say, well, let's toss a coin. Mm. And uh, heads is, you know, the first choice, B is the second choice. It's come out B. How would you feel about that? If you yeah. just that decision now, how would yeah. you feel? What would you be feeling? It's almost like imagining themselves in that and then thinking, how does it feel to, to imagine yourself yeah. in that yeah so there's a little bit of visualization yeah maybe and, there isn't there yeah and the other one I've used is um someone says I've got this decision to make but I don't have a time don't have a time a bit like you said before mm -hmm. so that there may not be um an immediate time deadline with this decision uh, but they want to discuss it they want to explore it so I'll say to them just as an artificial exercise but can sometimes really help is just to say okay but if you did have to make this decision right now what would you mm -hmm. what would your decision be mm -hmm. and um quite often they'll answer straight away 
Because they're in, answering from their instincts and their yes, gut so feeling. Yes, indicates yeah. that they did have a preference, even though they might have said, oh, the, these two are equal. Mm. When really pushed, they, they go for the one. Yeah. Candidates are one quite decisively. And then, you know, that then you can kind of discuss that. So let, let's say, well, why is it? Why were you so certain then? Uh-huh. When you uh, came in and said you were really uncertain. Yeah. So when you're forced to let go of all the other stuff, you can connect sometimes with the truth. Yes. And sometimes people will say, I think I knew when I came in what, mm. what the right decision was. I wanted to kind of have the discussion to... Yeah. Um, kind of reassure me that I wasn't that it wasn't completely off the wall or uh, you know that that, that it, it made sense to someone else so I'm I've been thinking a lot about and someone mentioned this to me actually when I told them what this episode was going to be about that this is actually a really interesting time in history for people making big life decisions because yeah. so much change has happened and, you know, obviously some people have had things forced on them, like losing jobs or, you know, they've made redundant or whatever um, and changes in relationships and things like that. So there's a lot of people currently, like, making big decisions about where they go from here in whatever sphere of their life, isn't there? So I think this topic is maybe even more important than ever um, that we're talking about it. But linked to that kind of is something that, that I guess comes up a lot in my work, maybe more than yours, is the timing of making a decision. If, like I said earlier, if you don't have to make that decision there and then, it's very important to not make it when you're going through lots of other changes and stress. And because that comes up a lot, I think, with bereavement, when, when somebody's had like a, you know, a really extreme loss, like the loss of a, a lifetime partner or something like that they sometimes will kind of feel like they want to make a big change. They want to like leave the home they were living in and move or, you know, they want to go live somewhere else or they want to, you know, so sometimes it's quite important to make space for that to explore whether now is the right time to make a big change like that. Not just because of the stress, because, you know, on, on the list of most stressful things, all those things are kind of high up on there, but also to make sure that the person isn't making a choice almost as a way of distracting themselves from the feelings that they're going through. I think with grief, that's quite common, that grief is such a difficult thing to experience. And also we're living in a, in a culture that doesn't really allow grief much time. So in my experience, if somebody's lost their 40 year partner, they're given maybe two weeks by other people to get over it because other people have got over it because they've processed it you know but the person may well take a couple of years to even start to put their life back in a way that they might want it which is fine but people don't aren't okay with that because they feel all that pressure they feel all that external pressure so my job in that situation would be to provide them with the space to work out whether that is the right thing I'm not saying it never is it might be the thing that is right for that person to make a decision in those circumstances but often it's not it's often almost a, a, yeah an avoidance or an escape it's like if I do this I won't feel like this and you know it's the not being able to tolerate a bit like what we we're saying before about the anxiety it's like if you're making a decision because you think you're gonna it's gonna help you stop feeling a certain way then that may not be entirely accurate you know <laughs> if you're grieving you're still going to be it's like people who go and live in another country thinking that that they'll feel better and not realizing there's a, there's a good cliche about that isn't there that they, you take yourself with you like if you go and live in another country you're still in your own head aren't you you know so, <laughs> so it's that kind of thing so there's something really important here about yeah yeah being careful not to make big decisions during extremes of either personal or you know external circumstances necessarily unless you know unless you've worked out exactly that that is the right thing to do and obviously if someone's working with me they're inviting me to help them to do that you know it's, this is not again not something I'm imposing on somebody but it's if I witness somebody doing what I've just described I will point it out to them you know I'm not just going to support them to make a massive life decision when they're also telling me that they can't function because they're just so distressed you know those two things don't fit together so 
you know, yeah, for me, that's quite an important part. But again, probably a little bit different because your work is much more kind of the goal is much more clear when someone comes to you. Not always, but often it's like, well, I want to, you know, I want to work on this specific thing or whatever. Is, is there anything, is there any times where you feel like somebody's making a decision and it's not the right time? Does that ever come up for you? Um, yeah, as you were speaking, I, you know, I can think of instances where someone will come and they'll say, you know, I need to decide whether or not to change career path because, um, yeah, I'm not enjoying my job or I feel like um, I've moved on and I want to do something different. And then um, as the discussion progresses, um, the discussion moves into other things um, that are... Um, so even though, they, even though they've sought out the conversation, there are other things that are bigger players in your, if you like, in their mind at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I can think of somebody who had a child who was ill. He was um, had a series of operations coming up, mm-hmm. and um, but was also putting pressure on themselves to kind of make a decision um, and 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 leave a job or look for a different sort of job. And I think what we ended up concluding was that you know that just take some time out from that just carry on doing what you're doing that that the opportunity to change will still be there but there's there's other stuff going on you know you you, your welfare of your child is your primary concern as Mm. a huge investment of energy and time and and thought and concern and so um but yeah I can think of other situations as well where the conclusion is if possible, let's park this, let's put this on the back mm. burner because you've got other things that you want to sort out. And sometimes when those things are sorted out, the kind of field of vision in terms of career choice or job change or yeah. doing a course or whatever is, is much clearer. Mm-hmm. And you achieve all that by taking that person-centred individualistic approach and making the space because I guess there's other practitioners in different professions with different goals, different pressures, who would think about the explicit goal, which might be, you know, I need to do this medical treatment or I need to get this job or whatever, and would focus only on that goal. And if they do that, they're going to be supporting someone to do something that isn't right for them. Whereas what we're talking about is listening to the stated goal, obviously, because that's what the person's telling us, but also listening to all the other things and making space for the other things to reveal themselves in the session. And, and that's, you know, that is actually quite, again, I think we probably don't really fully acknowledge the level of skill that's involved in that because we've both been doing it such a long time. But, it, you know, I, I get smacked in the face with it, of course, if I encounter a professional personally myself who isn't very good at it and I'm like oh oh yeah not everybody can do that not everybody can has the ability to listen or take take the space and take yeah take the time to actually allow somebody to reveal the other things as you've just strongly that, that was a great example wasn't it of like reveal the other things that are actually going on for them which might actually in the end sabotage that decision that they feel like they should be making yeah, like again, it's not that right. That's not the right time for that person to make that decision. And if they did, it would negatively impact other things. So this, all this is so important that if you know, and I'm really, as I'm saying this, I'm so hyper aware that there are other professions that we feel like this podcast is relevant to who have so much less opportunity to do what we're talking about here because they may have only ten minute appointments with people or. You know, they may they may have the agenda that the service they're working in is set, which they have to meet. And, you know, and so that's kind of making me cringe a bit because, um, I, I, you know, I am aware of how privileged I am to work in a job that allows me 50 whole minutes every time I see a person, you know, and I know not everybody has that. But on a, on a micro level, it's very important that whatever interaction you're having with a person, you try to be open with all the things that they're bringing into the room not just the stated goal, also how they're actually feeling at the moment and what else might be going on for them if, if they want to tell you that. You know, all those other things 
do inform any decision that is required, don't they? And I think it's so great when I talk to you, like every time I talk to you about anything, it, it's, more, it's more and more strong how close what, how we work is, isn't it? It's, it's, like, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, I know it, obviously I know it, but it's like to hear how you do that is just so great to hear that other professions do do that because there's so many professions that aren't that don't do that and are not trained to do that at all you know that could well do with it as well so I think in a lot of different professions that have helping roles some people like we've touched on this in other episodes haven't we some people are naturally able to do that so some people are very empathic and tuned in other people have gone and done some listening skills or counseling skills training off their own back in order to improve their ability to do what we're talking about <laughs> but others others some some even some therapy professions which seems really bizarre don't really use these types of skills and they do have very strong agendas and like mangas manuals even for and they're missing in doing that that if the thing that that we're like identifying might not be in the goal it's not almost not allowed it's not allowed to come into the interaction <laughs> and I've heard examples of that from lots of people that I've worked with where they've tried to explain to a professional even a mental health professional that this thing is you know really important to them or you know and the and the person just shuts it down because it doesn't fit with their agendas you know and I mean that's so utterly shocking isn't it <laughs> like, and really bad for your mental health but that's a whole other thing you know but yeah it's so it's great so great to talk to somebody who puts that like front and center of every single thing that you do because your main concern is that person making doing the right thing for them and it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the thing that they started with when they came in which is exactly the same as what I do yeah <laughs> But yeah, and uh, and going back to the thing about some of what we're doing is reassuring people. Like, yeah, it it is a difficult situation. You 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 know, it's it's natural to feel undecided when big decisions occur. And uh, I, I wrote a blog about recently about um, undecided versus indecisive. Ah, uh, are you going to put that in the show notes? I will do. And I, and, and part of that is is saying. Um, Perhaps one of the things people can do for themselves is, 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 uh, you know, in terms of reflection, is is am I indecisive or am I just undecided? And mm -hmm. I've experienced in in a period of my life, I think, being indecisive, like mm -hmm. every decision was a stress. Yeah. And sometimes, what I do with people is kind of take them back to a decision that's been successful. Mm -hmm. Or say practice being really decisive with small decisions. Like, mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you go to Starbucks, which apparently Starbucks has eighty thousand different drink options. Apparently, is it? Whoa! Take out all, the, all the all the anyway. This is a digression. Oh, but, yeah! Wow! But, um, okay. So it's yeah, not a it's... simple decision. <laughs> I, do you know what? That's just I've just been reminded of something. I don't know what. Again, I read so much in so many formats that I, I sometimes read the most amazing thing, but then I can't remember where it came from. But it was a professional, and they were talking. There wasn't. They weren't talking about decisions, but in the piece. I'm sure they said that in the course of a day, a human being makes 300,000 micro decisions. Wow. Yes, I have remembered that. I have remembered that. Unfortunately, I can't give you the source, but that is a really great example. Like if, you know, when somebody's really feeling down and, you know, not in a good place, making those micro decisions can be really, really difficult because it, the amount of effort it takes and the amount of sort of focus it takes to make a decision in Starbucks or wherever else that, you know, that it makes so much sense that it would be hard to make a life decision yeah, if you're I mean, in a bad place. Is it, 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 one of the kind of mantras, I guess, of uh, consumer society is the more choice, the better. Like, look at oh, all mm. fantastic choices we're giving you. Um, it's uh, paralyzing you know, sometimes. The more TV channels you have, the harder mm -hmm. it's like what mm -hmm. to watch. Absolutely. With career decision makings, especially I think for people who are, you know, say somebody who's 15, 16 and mm -hmm. kind of think, uh, you know, there's an idea, you know, they're going to school and, oh, you need to think about what, what you're going to do. 
uh, what what path you're going to follow, um, and then they go online and there's literally hundreds of different jobs. So um, yeah, it's too much. Yeah, so part of the process, I think, of what good careers guidance does is kind of finding a process by which they can narrow down and narrow down and and and, and make choices based on a on on a. a, a a, a better a narrower kind of selection of stuff and a more individualized selection because yes. that's the other problem with the internet isn't it that that yeah. you know a lot of what we read on the internet obviously isn't written specifically for us so sometimes it can take us down the wrong path or it can avoid like there'll be bits missing in it that we need and that's why one-to-one working with somebody who has the skills like we do is can be so valuable i mean it's not always necessary but it is if somebody's really struggling with a big decision, then we have the ability to really not only lay out all the things that are important to them, but also help them to get like right into the nub of it and, and often work out the thing that they're not even aware of consciously, which kind of comes back to instinct as well, doesn't it? That, that often we have so many layers on top of all the things in our minds that we're not able to connect with what we really want. And we do need someone's support to do that. You know, I mean, that basically is what therapy is in a nutshell. You know, it's it's try, you it's inviting someone to help you to work out what's really going on. And that's yeah. really scary. That is like, you know, often people acknowledge that when they start the work. They're like, well, I knew I needed to do this, but I've been putting it off for many years because I wasn't ready to front it, basically. And people say that a lot, you know. Basically, it's the courage to actually confront what's going on for you i think that's a brilliant word to use courage um. uh, <laughs> courage is is one of the things we can help our clients do is that they, they, when they're making decisions which will always have have an element of uncertainty yeah it, you know that to, to to highlight for them the courage that they muster up to make a decision oh, and absolutely. to move things forward yeah yeah so i was w- wondering if um we could kind of finish off with um uh an exercise to suggest people go through mm-hmm. um i think one of the things that's come up is we 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 it's good to get people who are in helping professions to go through the thought process there's every so often that they're guiding clients through. Mm. And um, one of those maybe is to think back to a decision you made and we'll go with um, a decision that turned out really well. So um, I'd ask those listening to think about a decision you made that turned out really well um, and think about before that decision was made, how, how difficult was it? Um, was there a lot of anxiety or indecision before you made the decision? Mm-hmm. And how did making the decision change your, your mindset and the way you felt? Um, once you'd made the decision, did that remove the anxiety or, or concern? Mm-hmm. Um, who do you feel you were making the decision on behalf of? Oh, was a good one. Was it yourself or was it uh, family or community? So was there other people involved mm-hmm. who would be impacted by the decision and, and how did that decision turn out for them? Um, what do you feel you did right? Um, and how much did you rely on intuition and how much did you rely on a, a logical process or a model? Mm-hmm. And looking back on that, is there anything you would change about the way you made that decision? So just a few things to think about in terms of reflecting back on a decision. Oh, I love that. That's really helpful. Yeah. And I think, Elizabeth, you're going to talk about our next episode. I am, yes. So our next episode, which will be out on the 10th of August, is... Again, there's lots of threads running through this, all the podcasts that we've done up to now. And the next one heavily links to this episode, but it's also runs through all the other ones that we've done. And that's, we're going to be doing a topic called the courage of the person-centered approach, because 
any of you who've already listened to other episodes in these podcasts will know that we both take that approach as a baseline to our work. Obviously, we bring in other integrate other models and things when necessary, but we both do that from a very person-centered base and individualizing the work. So we're going to be talking about that in our next episode. So we hope you'll be there for that. So thanks for listening to this episode. Please like and subscribe um, on all the channels that you listen to your podcasts on. And we now have a Twitter account. So if you'd like to follow us on our podcast Twitter, it's at How We Care Pod. Um, and on that, we keep you updated with upcoming episodes. And there's some conversations around well-being and balance and different professional interactions. So we look forward to connecting with you on there. Thank you for listening. We hoped you enjoyed this episode. How We Care is brought to you by Elizabeth Turk and Paul Gaunt via Simplecast. Case studies are generalised and do not relate to individual clients. Please subscribe for more episodes, rate us and follow us on Twitter, details in the show notes for information on upcoming episodes. Many thanks to Ed Tidy for the music and technical assistance. See you next time. See-